Good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Happy Thanksgiving. I hope it was awesome for everyone. Um, in case you were wondering, I am a ham person all the way. Uh, I mean, I like turkey, but ham, give me ham any, any day of the week. Um, really quickly, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to just um, echo something Pastor Jason said in one of his announcements about um, our online-only services on December 24th and December 31st are going to be online only, and there's a few reasons for that. Um, it's, it's, not, it's usually not very typical that, that churches don't gather in person, uh, especially for Christmas, but there, again, there's a few reasons. So um, one, the, the Boys and Girls Club, every week they have to send one of their own employees to open the building for us, and they want to take care of their employees and, and make sure that their employees get to enjoy their holiday. So they have given, they have shut the building down and they have given all their employees that day off. So that's one of the reasons. Another reason, like Pastor Jason said, is because that is a time for family. And I think it's very valuable for us as families to be able to gather together in our own homes, to be able to worship together. We can, we can still do church. Yeah, yeah, Zeus, that's awesome. Um, we, can, we can gather together for church in our living rooms with our families and, and worship the Lord together. I think that's valuable. Um, also, yes, a lot of the people who make this, this happen make Anchor Church happen. They come and they set up every single week. It's between 20 and 30 people that come every single week to make sure this happens. And I want to care for them. I want to make sure they're taken care of. And I want them to have uh, a relaxed, as relaxed of a holiday as possible. So we've made the decision with all that in mind that we're going to do online only services. Um, we hope that you'll join us online. Um, there will be uh, probably opportunities to to have like live chats and that kind of thing. So it would be good. We'd be able to worship together from home. So um, there's that. And then uh, really quickly before I get started, uh, <clears throat> when you walked in, you may have received this and you may have been asking, what on earth is this? Why do I have this? I promise it'll matter. Um, just hang on onto it till the end of the service and then I'll explain then. Um, so today... We are not in a series. We just concluded one a couple weeks ago, and then we're starting a new one next week. So I just have a standalone message, and the title of my message today is Grace Pays the Bills. Grace Pays the Bills. And before I dive into it, uh, before I dive into the scriptures, I um, was putting together the message this week, and I came up with some stats, and I was just thinking about, like, debt. And I was like, couldn't believe like the love-hate relationship like I realize I have with debt. And, and maybe you're there too. The, the love part. You love that you can get what you want right now and you pay for it later, right? That's great. The instant gratification, right? I want that car or I want that TV or I want that trip, you know, just put it on a credit card. Get it now, pay for it later. Convenient, it's great, right? But then there's a part where like you hate it because Debt seemingly never goes away. It feels like it never goes away. It feels like it's always hanging around, you know, so there's this love-hate relationship with debt. Most people keep racking up debt until the day they die. That's, that's reality. Most people keep racking up their debt until the day they die. And um, I, again, I did some research, and I found that in, in 2020, September 2020, total consumer debt in America rose 4.7% to... $4.2 trillion. What that means is all the personal debt that I have and all the personal debt that you have combined. So in America, total consumer debt is over 
$4.2 trillion, uh, according to the Federal Reserve. Collectively, Americans owe 10% of their disposable income to non-mortgage debts, like credit cards or student loans or personal loans or car loans, that kind of thing. 10% of our disposable income, collectively. That's a lot of unpaid debt. That's a lot of unpaid debt, and it's heavy. Now, I, I promise you, this is not a message on money, so stick with me. Money is just the example that I'm using. Um, I have a friend named Dan who about 10 years ago, Dan and I were having this conversation about debt, and I was sharing with him you know, some of the debts that I have and, and kind of the plan we had to kind of get out of it. And, and I, I, in this conversation, I made the statement that man, it's just, it just feels impossible because it felt like it was going to take so long. And he looked at me and said, Ryan, it's not impossible. He goes, it's actually really achievable. And he began to tell me about how little debt he had. He doesn't have any credit card. He's 29 years old. No credit card debt, no car payments, no uh, student loan. He had a master's degree, no student loans, um, no uh, personal loans, not, didn't owe anybody money, like didn't owe his parents. Anything. He had no debt except for his mortgage, which was going to be paid off before he was 35 years old. And I was astounded, like how on earth did you pull that off? Like, you know, I, like I, I couldn't think of anything to say, you know, but all I could muster was like, well, how does it feel? And, and he said, I feel free. You know, he smiled. He said, I feel free. And I was thinking about it. I said, that's the exact opposite way I felt in that conversation. I felt trapped by my debt. I felt trapped because like it was just hanging there. It was looming like, oh my gosh, how is this going to go away? When you have a debt, you can feel trapped. It, it can feel like that, like there's no escaping it. And I'm not just talking about financial debt. Like I said, this is not, this is not a message about money. Have you ever felt the weight of an outstanding debt? Maybe it is a financial debt that you felt the weight of, right? Like you go to trade in your car and you're upside down thousands of dollars. Like there's heaviness that comes with that. Or like you want to sell your house and so you get it appraised and you find out like, oh, it's only worth this much and I still owe this much on it. Oh, that's, that's really heavy. It can be really, really heavy. Maybe you felt the heaviness of somebody picking up your slack at work. You're just, you're dropping the ball left and right. You're, you're not pulling your weight and somebody else is, or, or like a team of people is, Pulling, pulling you up and they're, they're kind of carrying you and you feel the heaviness of that. You feel, man, I got to pay them back somehow. I got to pay them back because I'm not pulling my way. I'm not doing my part. You don't know how you're going to do it, but you got to figure out how to do it. It's the same way you feel when you've messed up and you know you've messed up and everybody around you knows you messed up. And just in case you didn't know you messed up, they're going to let you know you messed up, right? It's that kind of weight, that, that kind of heaviness. What about in your relationship with God? Maybe you don't regularly attend church or maybe your relationship with him is, is really inconsistent and, and whenever you're around a church building or whenever you're around people who, who go to church or you know, believers or whatever, like you feel guilty. Not necessarily because they're making you feel guilty, but because you see the way you're living and you see what God's calling you to and there's a distance there. That's heavy. That's heavy. Or maybe, maybe you're on the other side. Maybe you're the church person. Maybe you're, you're the person who's been going to church your whole life. You know, you know about God's grace and his love and his mercy and his forgiveness and blah, 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 blah. blah. You get it, right? You, you've heard it all a hundred times. But when you mess up, you think, man, I'm a Christian. 
I should know better than this. And so you think like for some reason that because you've been serving God a long time and then you mess up it, you have to like jump through hoops to get back on his good side. There's a heaviness that comes along with that. There's a heaviness there. We convince ourselves that when we mess up, we're not worthy of God's grace anymore. And that's not what the word of God says. Today, I want to look at what the word of God says about this issue, about this idea of grace and what it means. But before I do, will you please pray with me this morning? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we love you. We thank you. We're grateful for your grace, God. Help us to to grasp it better today. Help us to know it better. We love you, God. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you have a Bible, you can open it up. Turn it on to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 4. Really quickly, before I read the scriptures, um, whenever I I start my messages, I always start with there and then, right? Like I I say that a lot, there and then. I want us to understand the context of scripture because context matters. Just like you and I don't like our words taken out of context, right? Like I don't like it when somebody says I said something that I didn't say. And that if they, they understood the whole context of what I said, they would know, like, that's not what I meant, right? Like, I don't like that. You don't like that. Guess what? God doesn't like that either. God doesn't like it when we take his words out of context and, and use it in ways that aren't glorifying him. Jesus doesn't like that. And so um, I want to look at scripture today from that, that there and then context, understand who Jesus was talking to and why he said it. So Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 4. It says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Lost sheep, lost coin. Jesus is is telling these stories to people like me, religious leaders in the community, people who who know the word of God. He's not telling them to, he's not telling these stories to to, uh, common people, to people who who. Uh, don't know the word of God very well. He's telling these, these stories right now in the context of, of him telling them. He's telling them to religious leaders. He's telling them to pastors. He's telling them to uh, preachers and priests or whatever. Like he's telling them to religious people who, who lead the community. And these religious leaders that he's talking to, they think they've got it all together. They think they're better than the common person because they know the word of God more, because they obey the word of God better, or, you know, whatever. They think they're better than the common person. I'm so glad we don't have to deal with that problem anymore. A little, uh, little sarcasm for you. Um, Jesus is telling these stories, and he makes, a couple of sta- he makes a couple of statements. He said, heaven rejoices when even one sinner 
repents, you know, like, and, and, and that's, that's awesome. And I think a, a lot of people like preach that, like heaven rejoices when sinners repent. Yes. But in the context of the whole story, that doesn't seem to be the, the point. That doesn't seem to be like the main thrust of the story, that's, that heaven rejoices when sinners repent. There's something else. The stories are built around a lost sheep and a lost coin. And that's the point. Lost. That's the point. The the stories are about a shepherd and a woman and their driving motivation to do something. Let Let me ask you a question. Why did the shepherd and the woman go searching for the sheep and the coin? Because they're found or because they're lost? It's... It's because they're lost, and it's, it, that is the point. The lostness of the sheep and the lostness of the coin is what drives the work of the shepherd, is what drives the work of the woman to hunt, to discover, to search for the thing that is lost. The lostness drives the searching. After these two stories of the lost sheep and the lost coin, there's, uh, Jesus tells another story of a man who has two sons, and one, the oldest son, he's, he's a, good, a good kid, and he does what his dad tells him. The youngest son is a little bit more rebellious, and the youngest son comes to his dad. He says, Dad, I want my inheritance. Give it to me, and I'm going to go. And so his dad graciously does it, gives him the inheritance, and he goes, and he leaves, and he spends it on wild living. He's just acting crazy. And he spends it all, and he eventually is, is homeless and poor, and he's on the brink of starvation. He, he got a job like you know, tending to pigs, and he saw the pigs eating slop, and he's like, even these pigs are living better than me. He goes, I can go home and be my father's servant and live a better life than this. So he gets up, dusts himself off, he starts to make his way home, and he's rehearsing this speech that he's going to say to his father to allow his father, or to get his father to allow him to come back, and this is where I want to pick up the story. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 20. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Verse 22, his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So this youngest son basically said to his dad, I wish you were dead. When, when you go in this culture, when, I mean, probably in any culture, when you go to your, your parents and say, I want my inheritance now, it's basically saying, I can't wait for you to die. Give me what's mine. He basically said, I wish you were dead. Give me what you're, what's owed to me so I can go spend it how I want. And then he does, and, and he's, he's on the doorstep of death, and he realizes, I can go back. I can go back to my father's house and be his servant. And again, he's rehearsing this speech. And before he can even get the speech out, the father embraces him. The father welcomes him. It says, it says, while he was still a long way off, I think the whole story hinges on that phrase, while he was still a long way off, because it has nothing to do with what the son did or said. It was the father's moving to him, moving, going to the lost thing, pursuing the lost son that matters. The son hasn't done anything to deserve mercy or grace, but his father gives it freely. So once again, it's the energy of the father who goes out 
to embrace, capture, discover that which was lost. There was a great priest named um, Robert Farrar Capon who said this about these, these parables. These stories are parables about grace and grace only. There is in them not one single note of earning or merit, not one breath about rewarding the rewardable, correcting the correctable, or improving the improvable. Nowhere in these stories do you hear the, about the coin getting its act together. Nowhere in these stories do you hear about the sheep saying, well, I, I, I should go to a Bible study. No, nowhere in the stories about anybody doing anything to get right. It's about the willingness of the shepherd, the woman, the father to search for what was lost. There's nothing of merit or worth in any of the things that were found. These parables are not designed to convince us that if we wind ourselves up to some kind of moral or, or spiritual like acceptability that God will then forgive us. That's not, what, that's not the point of these parables. They're parables about God's determination to move before you do. They're parables about God's determination to move before I do. And if we miss that, we miss his grace. If we don't catch that in these stories, we, we don't catch his grace. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8 says this, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Grace. What's the Apostle Paul saying here? He's saying Jesus isn't just for the good people. Jesus isn't just for people who got their life together. Jesus is for everyone. And if we don't understand that, we don't understand grace. Grace. This is so radical and, and so out there for some people. Like, you, you might hear this and think, like, how on earth is this possible? Right? Like, again, if, if, if you don't understand this, it's okay. I have been serving the Lord wholeheartedly for 20 years, and I barely grasp this. Like, I understand it up here, but my heart doesn't fully grasp it. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. So if you don't fully grasp it either, that's okay. That's okay. How do we begin to grasp it, though? How do we begin to grasp what God's grace is and what it means for us? I think if we're going to grasp it, if we're going to begin to understand it, we have to, understand, we have to answer three questions, I think. The first question that we have to answer if we're going to understand God's grace is, what is grace? First, we have to understand what it is before we're going we're gonna to grasp it and we're going to, you know, like live in it, right? What is grace? The Bible defines grace as this, unmerited uh, kindness and favor towards someone, often with a focus on a benefit given to that person by extension, a gift, a benefit, a credit, blessing, goodwill that is unearned. Grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. When I 
first began to grasp this idea of, of grace freely given, I said, out, I said out loud to myself, like, I said, it's true. And immediately I felt the Holy Spirit saying, Ryan, it has been true. It's always been true. It was and is and will be true. My affirming it, accepting it, believing it doesn't now make it true. It already was. It doesn't matter if you believe this grace exists. It does, and it covers everything. It doesn't matter if you trust that this grace exists. It does. It doesn't matter if you accept it. It exists. My accepting it, uh, trusting it, affirming it, believing it doesn't affect whether or not it's true. It already is true. When I was about um, 21 years old, I just finished that uh, Bible college, discipleship program, master's commission that I did for three years. Um, and I didn't realize it, but I racked up about $6,000 of debt for this school. Uh, like, and, and that might not seem like a lot compared to like other college debts, but like for a uh, poor jobless, you know, 21 year old, that was a lot. And my mom wasn't in a position to financially help me either. Um, and, and on top of it, this, this money, like tuition money that I owed, it was due before these school years began. So like the church like was entitled to my money now. Like I graduated, they were entitled to the money now. Well, I'm broke and I don't have any money. So I'm like, all right, I got to go have this conversation with the pastor who does the finances at this church. This is a true story, by the way. Um, I go into his office. His name is Walter Hooker, an incredible friend, mentor, love the man. He was in charge of the finances, and I sat down on his, the couch in his office, and I just said, I know I owe this money, and I can't pay it. It's going to take me a long time to pay it back. And he looked at me, and he said, you don't even have to worry about it. Somebody's taking care of it. I'm like, I'm really confused. Like, what do you mean somebody's taking care of it? Well, somebody's paid it. You don't have to worry about it. I'm like, so I'm like trying to figure out, like, did my mom, did my mom save up money to pay for it? No. Oh, was it another family member? No. Ryan, you don't have to worry about it. Stop. You don't have to worry about it. It's taken care of. And you never have to worry about paying that person back either. I was overwhelmed. What do, you, what do I do with that? There was nothing I could do except accept it. The only thing I could do with that was accept it. Whether I believed that somebody paid my debt or not, it didn't matter. Somebody paid it. All I could do was accept it. The debt was gone. And, and God's grace is just like that, except on a way bigger scale. Way bigger scale. Remember that total consumer debt of $4.2 trillion? Take that and multiply it by 100, and God's grace covers that. God's grace is way bigger, way bigger, and it could cover anything. You cannot out the grace of God. That's what grace is, unmerited favor. So if we're going to begin to grasp, what God, grasp God's grace, we have to understand what grace is. It's unmerited favor and kindness. The second question we need to answer to help us grasp the grace of God is, how is grace possible? How is grace possible? I think this is a, there's a two-part answer to this, and the short answer is, is grace. That's how it's possible, grace. 
that doesn't really make sense. So I'm going to dive into it a little bit more. How, how is God able to extend grace and how are we able to receive it? First, we have to understand that God created us to be like him. But when sin entered the world, we, aren't, we weren't able to be like him anymore, right? So the humans have tried for thousands and thousands of years to be like him and it's not possible anymore. So God had to make a way for us to, to become like him. He had to make a way for us to, to get to him and he sent his son to pay the debt of our sin. Romans chapter six, verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. What that means is any sin that is committed, the, the, the way to pay it back is your life. That's the way to pay it back. And Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So everyone in here, including myself, has sinned against God. We've sinned against God, and, and the payment to get us back on even terms with God is our death. Then Jesus. Thank God that he sent his son to take to take our debt and, and wipe it clean, that we, we don't have to pay it anymore. I'm so glad that God is gracious and, and he didn't want that to be our story, that, that we had to die to be right with him. He sent his son to take our place. The, the full context of, of that scripture, Romans chapter three, verse 23 through 26 says this, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalties of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in, the, in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So I, I believe this portion of scripture kind of puts to bed that, that there's no levels to sin. This sin is worse than that sin and that. Sin is sin according to the word of God and it all requires death to be made right in God's sight. But he sent his son to, to take that punishment for us so, so our story wouldn't be that. Praise God. God freely gave grace to make us right with himself. And all we have to do for the rest of time is never mess up again. That's not what it says. All we have to do for the rest of time is just show up every Sunday in church. That's not what it says either. All we have to do for the rest of time is never do drugs, never smoke, never drink. That's not what it says. All we have to do to live in this grace is trust that Jesus is the son of God. Put our faith in him that he died for us to make us right in God's sight. Now, really quickly, to, to be very clear, do I think God wants us to do drugs? No. Drugs destroy people. And I don't think God's really interested in watching his children destroy themselves. Do I think God wants us to abuse alcohol? No, I don't. Just like drugs, 
alcohol abuse can destroy people. And I don't think God's really interested in seeing people destroy themselves and their families. Does God want us to be addicted to things like cigarettes? I don't think so. Not because it offends him, but because God loves you so much, he wants you to experience the world outside of addiction. God loves you so much that he wants you to be able to experience the fullness of life and not be addicted to something. It's not because he's offended. God's not offended by your sin. If he was, he would have wiped us off the face of the earth a long time ago. He doesn't like sin because it hurts us and it hurts the people around us. Grace. 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 So God is able to extend us grace because he sent his sinless son to take our place and incur the, the punishment that we deserved. And we're able to receive grace by simply putting our faith in Jesus. That's how grace is possible. So the first question we answered is what is grace? Unmerited favor, right? You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. Just accept it. How, how is grace possible? God sent his son and we just put our trust in him. The third and final question I want to answer today and how we grasp the grace of God is why does God offer grace? I think if we're going to grasp his grace, we have to understand why he offers it. The answer to this question has unfortunately become really, really cliche in our culture. Um, it's become so cliche that it's, it's lost the power of its meaning. Why does God offer grace? Because he loves you. Because he loves me. He loves you so outrageously and there's nothing you can do to escape it. There's, there's nothing you could ever do to make him love you more. There's nothing you could ever do to make him love you less. He loves you 100% right now. Even if you have no plans to follow him, he loves you 100%. Even if you have no plans to become a better person, he loves you 100%. And you will always be the object of his love. His love is unchanging. He loves all the way, all the time. And that's why he offers grace. I said that, unfortunately, that's, um, you know, that's really cliche in our culture. What I mean is, so like, um, when I was a youth pastor in Tennessee, I was having this conversation with somebody in my church about like witnessing to people and that kind of thing. And, and we kind of identified that ultimately witnessing just comes down to people knowing that God loves them. But he said, ah, I don't know if that works. I don't know if that works. Like, what do you mean? He said, well, one, one time years ago, I was at this truck stop and with me and some church buddies. And, and he goes, we saw a prostitute. And we wanted to share Jesus with her. And so what we said to her was like, hey, Jesus loves you. And she looked at him and she goes, oh, I love him too. And she went on and doing her thing. Like the love of God has become so cliche in our culture that it's lost the true meaning of it. Like it's true power, but it's still, it's still the power that, that we have to put our trust in. God loves us so much no matter what, no matter what. And this is why he offers us grace. I grew up with knowledge of God, but never really knowing God. I, I, um, I can remember growing up that my perception of love was really skewed too. 
my perception of love was was very conditional. If if I did something to make my parents mad, then my stepdad literally would not talk to me or acknowledge me. His love for me was 100% conditional on how well I behaved. My friends, um, if if I did something or said something to go against what they wanted, they would stop being my friends. My perception of love was so skewed. It was so skewed. Until I was 18 years old. And I was introduced into a relationship with Jesus and I understood what his love was. And through understanding what his love is, I got to learn about his grace. And I got to learn that it's freely given and there's nothing that I could ever do to stop it. There's nothing that I could ever do to to make it go away. I could even run from it and it's still always gonna be there. Grace, grace. God also offers us his grace because we can't pay the debt ourselves. We're unable to pay the debt, right? Like I said, uh, I said the, um, the, the uh, cost is our life, right? We, we can't pay that. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 says, You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. You were dead because of your sins. Dead people can't do anything, right? Dead people can't do anything to help themselves. Dead people can't make wrongs right. Like dead people are dead. Dead dead people can't do anything for themselves. We were dead in our sin and we needed God we needed God to, to do this for us because we were incapable of doing it ourselves. So if we're going to grasp grace, God's grace, we have to understand what it is. It's unmerited favor. You don't earn it. You, can't, you don't deserve it. You just accept it. We have to understand how grace is even possible because he sent his son to incur our penalty and all we have to do is put our faith in him. And finally, God offers us grace because we're so incredibly valuable to him and he loves us outrageously. Worship team, you can come back to the platform. Romans chapter eight, verse 38 and 39 say this, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell, can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Could you imagine if that's true? Sounds way too good to be true. Sounds way too good to be true. There's nothing that could ever make God stop loving me? Really? Nothing? You'll never be able to outsin the grace of God. What if you didn't have to try to be good enough for God? What if you didn't have to try that? What if you didn't have to work for that anymore? What if you didn't have to strive to be a better person anymore because of God's grace? What if you didn't have to try to earn his love? What if God just actually accepts you as you are right now? 
What if that's true? You can't ever make yourself good enough for God. You can't ever do it. It isn't possible to earn his love. It's not possible to to make our wrongs right. We have to put our faith and trust in Jesus, and that's called grace. The only thing you can do is accept it. Accept it. Let me pray for you this morning. God, we love you. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your grace. God, may I never take your grace for granted, Jesus. May I never feel entitled to grace. I always want to be grateful, God, that you show me favor when you didn't have to, that you saved me when you didn't have to. You took my punishment when you didn't have to. May I never take that for granted. May I never feel entitled to that. God, and I pray for anyone here who might be struggling with this idea of grace. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would meet them right where they're at. And you would bring peace. Peace from your Holy Spirit that surpasses all understanding. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We're going to go into a response time. What I want to do right now is if you have this guest check, I want you to pull it out. And you should have gotten a, um, a pen to go with it. And the worship team is going to lead us in a couple, for a couple minutes. Um, but this is what I, I want us to do. I want you to think, and, and nobody's going to, I'm not going to ask for this back. This is yours to keep. You don't have to share it with anyone. It's between you and the Lord right now. I want you to think of what your unpaid debt is. What's the, what's the heaviness you're carrying around that you're, you're thinking, man, I've got to figure out a way to make up for this. I've got to figure out a way to make this right. Whatever that is, and I want you to write it on here. I want you to write it on here. And then um, on the way out, there's going to be a couple people with just rubber stamps, and I want you to allow them to stamp it on your way out. Um, they're not going to read it. They're not going to look at it. But I want, I want you to allow them to stamp it on, on the way out. But um, that's what I want to do right now. Take a few minutes and just think, what's the heaviness that I'm carrying around? What's the, what's the unpaid debt that I just can't shake? And I want you to write it on the check. If you, if you finish before the song's over and you want to sing, with the, with the worship team, you totally can. Feel free to do that. But, but I really want to encourage you, search yourself right now and, and really like be honest and, and write down what you're struggling with on this guest check. Again, it's only for you. It's for no one else. I'm not going to ask for it. I'm not going to ask you to give me the details. None of that. This is between you and the Lord. But worship team, lead us, please. God, thank you. Thank you for your grace freely given. Thank you that all we have to do to receive it is put our trust in your son. Thank you. Thank you, God, for your love, that you you love us so outrageously that you didn't want to spend eternity without us. You made a way for us to get to you. We love you, God. 
really quickly before we end, um, I just have some next steps that I want to challenge us with. Just a couple this week. Uh, and it's just a scripture memorization. And um, it's, it's Romans 5.8. This week I'll, I'll memorize Romans 5.8. But God showed us his great love, his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That's grace. There's nothing we did to earn his love. There's nothing we did to earn his favor, but he freely gives it. And then this week, I'll invite someone to the Carols of Christmas series starting next week. We start our Christmas series next week where we're going to be looking at specific Christmas carols and we're going to be examining them and, and, and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us through some traditional Christmas songs. So I hope you do invite someone to come uh, and sit with you next week. Um, before I pray and close, I know this can seem silly. Pastor Ryan, what on earth do we need this for? But like God knew that we are visual creatures that we need to be reminded. Um, and even in scripture, there are, there are certain things that he set up. Do this so that when you see it, you'll remember. We're all gonna leave here and we're all gonna go to our, our busy lives and we're gonna forget. We're going to forget that God freely offers his grace. We're going to forget that we don't have to earn it. We're going to forget that God loves us so much. That's why he, we're going to forget that stuff. Well, hopefully this will help us remember. Again, you don't have to show anyone. I don't want to see it. It's between you and the Lord. But I want to, I want to ask you, please let them stamp it on the way out and, and put it somewhere where you'll be able to see it for yourself to be reminded I'm covered by the grace of God. Let me say one, one more prayer and we could be done. God, we love you. We thank you for this day. Please bless us as we go. Um, bless our worship. Bless our week, our coming up week and, and help us to see you more and more. Help us to experience you more and more. We love you, God. And finally, may our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. May they comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen and amen. Thanks for worshiping with us, everybody. Thanks for being here today. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday. Don't forget to let uh, them stamp your, your guest check on the way out. <laughs>